It's Black August. Can't nobody tell me not to cuss. Be advised. Hey y'all, I'm Jen. I'm from Oakland and I'm an androgynous, black, lesbian, feminist, and a lover of all black people. This is Darren. I'm an asexual novelist, researcher, and bona fide comic book fanatic from the widest part of Southern California. Orange County. We're queer millennials with three kids and nearly 20 years of marriage. This is a podcast about the realities of blackness, adulting, and relationships. This is That Black Couple. Hello. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Are you? Because you sound congested. I am a little bit. Yeah, so <laughs> we 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 had to take a little break because Darren been dealing with allergies. Darren went to Chicago and came back coughing and hacking and sneezing, and we thought it was COVID, but it's just boogers. Just good old-fashioned allergies. Yuck. Yeah. So, nah, we got to do a congested episode. But, but now I just have, you know, a deeper... Oh my God! And a sex. Please do not do no ASMR. Radio voice. I wish I could somehow transmit my facial expression over this podcast. <laughs> oh my it God! Sounds good though, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound good? This is episode four of season five of That Black Couple. Please go grab your water, and in the case of Darren, also get some tea. Get something that's gonna help loosen any boogers that you might have. Don't bring no boogers home to your family. <clears throat> you know, keep the boogers to yourself, unlike some people. Have a seat. <laughs> this is That Black Couple. I'm Jen. I'm Darren. Before we get started, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at That BLK Couple, on Facebook at That Black Couple, and look us up on the internets at www.thatblackcouple.com. And you already know, you can find us everywhere. If people stream podcasts there. You can find us there. And that means everywhere. That means Apple Podcasts. That means Spotify. That means Google Podcasts. It means Amazon Music, Audible, Stitcher, Pandora, SoundCloud. Everywhere. And remember, y'all, <laughs> sign up for that Patreon. Because Patreon is where you get the extra stuff. That's where you, that's where you get the extra sauce. On the Patreon. It was the allergy medication that got you acting weird, I think. It might be. I think that's what it is. This is season five, episode four. We're talking about the roots of Black August. We want to understand what Black August is, where it comes from, and why we've talked about it for the last, I think, my lifetime, I think, Mm -hmm. but at least the last decade or so, I think people have talked about Black August more often. So let's talk about what it is. Let's do it. Let's go. All right, so let's start with segment one, first things first, and let's talk about the radical origins of black history and black liberation politics in this in this country, in the U.S., and also, you know, in other colonized uh, countries, specifically, let's think about Haiti, right? Mm-hmm. So one thing that has always stood out to me as a black politics professor, as a political scientist, is how many things I did not fucking know. Like, I just did not know were a thing. So... I didn't learn about Juneteenth formally until I was very much into my adulthood. Like I was very much in my 30s. I had children before I knew exactly what Juneteenth was. I had heard people talk about Juneteenth. I had heard about it as an alternative 
um, to Independence Day, but no one had explained to me that this was the time when enslaved people, specifically in Texas, had essentially been re-enslaved and kept in slavery for an additional two years and some for shorter periods and some for a little bit longer um, because they simply were not given information to let them know that slavery had formally ended with the Emancipation Proclamation. I didn't know any of that information until I was much older. You know, I didn't I didn't really know about it either. You know, and when I think about my childhood, I feel like I I feel like my mom did a really good job of trying to be like, I'm going to expose you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put you in programs and you're going to learn about black history Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But I feel like even then it was very much what I would call kind of lightweight or like sanitized. Absolutely. Like it was, it it was very much like, you know, here are all of the inventors. Here's George Mm -hmm. Washington Carver. We made a peanut. You know, we, we was doing hair. (laughs) I guess we didn't make the peanut. We didn't make the peanut, but we made stuff with peanut. You know, like we was learning stuff and, and, not to say that that stuff isn't important. But can I tell you, I got Madam C.J. Walkered out. I mean, how many yeah. times we got to hear about Madam C.J. Walker? No shade. Yeah, I like get it. Pressing combs and bergamot. I, I get it. But uh, uh, it's astounding that, 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 that we also have all this rich history that never was shared with us because it was all about essentially capitalism. Well, and, and yeah, to me, it was, it was about essentializing what what people thought black excellence was. Correct. And, and like you're saying, it was capitalism. It Correct. was like, look, you can you can go out into the workforce and be someone who has something to provide. And you be are like the white people. Who can build, you know, fortunes. You were so right? It was basically to 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 me it's like it's like the, the Huxable model. Yeah. Right? Like you can go and you can, you know, assimilate and, and be successful. Yeah. And it's the darkness of that is how much is then just like thrown out that right. is essential. Right. And it's interesting. I mean, we, you know, I'm not going to get into a whole bunch of black politics history, but you know, when we think about our scholarship and how there's been folks who were liberationists in the black radical struggle who were at odds over these types of uh, this type of focus, right? Booker T. Washington was, Washington was the one who said, cast down your buckets, right? The whole concept of casting down your buckets was to say, Hey, black people, you are, able to create the life that you want for yourself build you know the structure around yourself that you want by participating in this essentially anti-black white supremacist capitalist system and and assimilate and there were folks like you know du bois and garvey and uh douglas who were like yeah nah like it's racist you know Mm -hmm. and and there were many women who unfortunately were mostly watered down and and silenced by their male counterparts but the Sondra and truce of the world the Ida B. Wells of the world the Anna Julia Cooper of the world who were like yeah like assimilation really not finna get us nowhere right mm-hmm. and that's kind of what we're talking about today we're talking about the black radical tradition and the ways that certain types of radical politics have been withheld for from us right this includes like the Haitian revolution I didn't learn about the Haitian revolution until I was teaching it in a black politics class in 2011. I was an adult with a master's degree. Mm-hmm. I, was, I, I had two children. And, and it's funny because my first instinct is to say, oh, this is the history that they're trying to hide from us. This is the history that they want to keep from us. They don't want you to know. And I'm not, I'm not sure that that's really what it is. Part of, part of me really wants to, really kind of believes that I think it's more so that 
people really just don't know. I think people don't know. I, I think, think generationally I mean, people don't know. I don't think it has to be one or the other. I think it it's, doesn't. I think yeah. it's all those things simultaneously. I mean, I don't think that there are any colonizers who want us to know about the Haitian Revolution, right? I don't think that there's any way that the Haitian Revolution um, provides the outcomes that white, especially colonizers, want black uh, enslaved folks at the time and post-enslaved folks to to have they don't want to think they don't want black folks to think of themselves and ourselves as uh collective actors people who are able to organize and to uh, interrupt the status quo that's that's information that is not um widely acceptable mainly because it's seen as a coup it's seen as it's seen as undermining a government even if it's a corrupt and awful government, but also because it it instills this idea that it's okay to uh, kind of instate some form of tyranny um, if you have a faction that has been aggrieved by the government. And historically, the only people who feel that that's okay are white people. That's why we talk about the Boston Tea Party as if it's some huge liberatory moment when in actuality it was a bunch of white people fighting with white people over goods that didn't belong to either one of them. Mm-hmm. It's odd. And that and that that's why it is so important that we do center these types of celebrations, these these types of momentous mo- moments in history. It is important that we highlight black liberation movements and, and radical movements. So that people know that they exist. Right. I talked about the Huxable model because it's a model of possibility. Right. But this is the same thing. It's the model of possibility to right. say radicalism is something that's possible. Right. It's something that has existed. Right. It's something that has brought about radical change in right. the world. And, you know, as you're saying, you know, colonizers don't want you to know that. No, they don't. <laughs> right? and it's not in their best interest. It's not. And 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 it, it's we should also be talking about the black folks who participate in this. Mm-hmm. Right. The black folks for whom the Haitian Revolution is a, is a, is a step too far. Right. Uh, the black folks for whom, you know, talking about Juneteenth is something that they also didn't do because they actually want to celebrate Independence Day. Right. Like I think. And this is not to, to begrudge them, but this is also to say that that waters down our history too. That changes what children know. That's that, that's part of the reason why so many of us are not socialized to know our own history because we also participate in this. Right. This podcast is supported by generous donations from our patrons and listeners. Become a supporter today by heading to www.patreon.com slash media. You can stream the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. When you listen, please consider hitting that heart button, sharing, giving us a five-star rating, and leaving some dope comments. This helps us with our paid drinkings and gets more listeners for the show. Thank you so much. And we're back. And we are back. You ready? It's, it's time for the conversation. This is my favorite part. This is your favorite part. Let's get to it. Let's let's conversate. Okay. Um. So we're talking about Black August. Black August. And as usual, mm-hmm. I like to educate the people. I know. Here you go. And I know you're the professor, but I like to educate the people. And according to the people on the street, you got a PhD too. So I do. Yeah. When I you mean, when you with a PhD for this long, I think you get like you a some me. type of. Some type of like proxy PhD. Yeah, when when you read the papers and when you're the sounding board, you for be the in ideas, the classes. You've been in classes with me since 2002. Yeah. When you when you be helping to pull citations for papers, mm-hmm. you, you you definitely get. You've been least in presentations. You've hooked up so many electronics, so many I cameras. You've done so much lighting. 
You yeah. a PhD. I earned that. You've earned it. I, I, I need someone to print me one. Now, I don't want no PhD listening to this to get mad. I'm joking. Okay? <laughs> Please relax. I know y'all sensitive about your shit. Please relax. It's a podcast. <laughs> Jesus. Let's talk about Black August. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So, I, I you know, I realized going into this episode that, you know, there's likely a lot of people that don't know what Black August is. Correct. Right? Which, again, is the point yes. of Black August and of you know, shows like this so that people can learn. Yes. So Black August was birthed as a reaction to the killing of Black Panther George Jackson in August of 1971 mm-hmm. during an uprising at the San Quentin State Prison in California. Mm-hmm. Now, there's this is definitely an interesting story. Yes. It's definitely something we should know about. I I definitely recommend people doing their own research, following yes. up on this, learning learning about him, learning about the uprising, learning about what's, what was happening. You know, just but just as a side note, so people understand the the type of mess that was going on, is he was sentenced to a term of one to life. I don't even know what that is. One to life basically means you could be here for one year, you could be here for the rest of your wow. life. Wow! It was basically up to the prison system to decide how long he was wow. going to be in that. Right? The seventies were wild, bro. Which is which is a wild sentence. Um, to listen, get. they hated the Black Panthers. Let me tell you something right now. Let's yeah. talk about it. That is. Can you imagine? Can you imagine someone listen, sentencing you from one to life? Listen, the Black Panthers, the Black Panthers and the Black Power Movement are still seen as some of the most radical moments in U.S. history in terms of movement and power politics. And unfortunately, the U.S., the institutions, the FBI, the CIA, probably not the CIA. Um, hey. Actually, the CIA was involved. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> These institutions that govern us, the FBI, the CIA, local state actors, SWAT teams, right? They were all coordinating together to eradicate the Black Panthers, to eradicate the Black Power moment and the movement, and to kill these people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we know what happened to Fred Hampton. We all have now seen a movie about Fred Hampton. This was not, this was not rare. This was normal. So this is... Th- hearing this about George Jackson to not be a surprise given that in this moment between the sixties and the nineties, there was a concerted effort by the U S government to kill, to eradicate, to extradite, to remove anybody associated with this movement. Yep. Cause it was a threat. Yes. Um, they just didn't like it. Yes. <laughs> they didn't like the ideals. They didn't like what they were doing. Right. It was, it was a threat to the system. I mean, black people were arming themselves and saying we should actually end the police and we should do it by force. That's not. That shall not stand. Not an anti-black white supremacist <laughs> country that's rooted in a history of enslavement. No, it's not gonna work. No. Um, but yes, that's that. That is kind of what the genesis was, right? Yes. Is is he he was a, a freedom fighter and a, and and he worked it in liberatory movement, and honestly, the celebration itself started in August of 1979 to honor his fight, to honor the work that he was doing, and it was started by the inmates of the San Quentin prison. Right, which is an amazing, you know, movement to even just think about. To Absolutely. say that, that the inmates said, "We want to honor our brother in arms who yes. was in here with us." And San the work Quentin that he has did. a rich, rich history. Unfortunately, as a prison. Yeah, in the I US. mean, he, he was doing a lot of work from the prison. He was writing yes. books from the prison. Absolutely. Right, he was. It wasn't like he was locked up and that was the end. He was. He's still working. Mm-hmm. Right, and people wanted to honor that, and mm-hmm. so his fellow inmates honored that. That was the the genesis of um, of Black August. Um, but now it's it's been kind of expanded and transformed a little bit to where it's now really like a wider celebration of black freedom fighters in general, the commemoration of the fight for black liberation, um, and an awareness campaign also for black political prisoners, right? Because mm-hmm. 
these, you know, this the fight goes on. Yes. We're, we're still fighting it. People are still on the streets. Terrible things are still being done to the people, right? And people are still on the front lines. People are still losing their lives, right? And it, it it's almost been kind of fashioned as like an alternate Black History Month to say, yeah. oh, yeah, let's say Black History Month. Yeah, woo, woo, woo. You know, like you said, Madam T.J. Walker. Yeah. But the Black Caucus to say, is to say, yeah, but also. Yes. And I think what we should also make sure that we understand is like George Jackson it, to be clear here, he wasn't a single actor, right? This was right. a movement leader and a, and a movement politician, right? George Jackson was affiliated with someone who and I know personally, personally is Angela Davis, right? Mm-hmm. And she's a communist. She's a, she's She has deep beliefs, not only in the ways that we think about race and gender and abolition, but also specifically how they're rooted in this, this capitalist society. And George Jackson was... was um, motivated to do this work by Vietnamese nationalists like Ho Chi Minh, um, Korean nationalists, Chinese na- communists, and nationalists. So his his work, even from that prison, was not even just rooted in a, a black power or a black tradition. It was rooted in this idea that people should be free no matter where they are, and that's why he, that's why he was so unpopular. That's why he was so targeted in the U.S. because he was. He was essentially modeling uh, a black liberation moment and movement after a lot of successful movements that had happened across the world for, you know, dually and triply marginalized groups. Mm -hmm. It's really important, I think, when we understand and think about abolition to understand that this is not abolition is not just about um, closing down prisons and getting rid of police. Right. Abolition is also thinking about ways to um, eradicate the ideas that support prisons and support police, right? People who think it's okay for us to have boxes that we put people in. And George Jackson's experience is really important to this because he was, he was not only incarcerated, right? For essentially being a liberationist. Um, He was treated so awfully in prison that that's what motivated prisoners there and incarcerated folks there to later commemorate him and to establish this idea of Black August, right? Mm -hmm. He was, whenever they wanted to punish him, um, prison guards would essentially put him in unfair confinement. They would put him in isolation, which we know has uh, debilitating effects on the human mind and the body. they would also use the prison system to uh, deny his rights. So every time he would try and seek any type of probation or any type of rights um, to allow him to actually just be a human with his community, um, they denied it. So they essentially took the opportunity once he was imprisoned to completely isolate him from the world. And um, what we know is that uh, these these prisons, these institutions are made not not to rehabilitate. They're mm-hmm. not made to address um, the crime or the perceived crime. Right. Um, they are made to tear people down to nothing um, so uh, that they can no longer be a part of society. And that's precisely what they did to George Jackson. And he actually died at the hands of prison guards during an escape. He was only 29 years old, 29 so I just want to make it clear, like we're talking about young people here. We're talking about when we talk about abolitionists and freedom fighters who were c- killed in the 70s and 80s. These were 20 and maybe 30 year olds, but mostly and sometimes teens. Right. Yeah. Like Bobby Seale. Like these were young people. These are all young people. Fred Hampton was in his 20s. These are young people. So 
to be clear, abolition and Black August are deeply connected, not just because um, we want to see the end of prisons and police, but because we deeply understand that blackness is what's criminalized in the U.S. Blackness right. is the thing that is that people and institutions seek to annihilate and to get rid of. Abolition is helping us to recover ourselves. It's not just about ending the prisons and the, and the police. It's about black people being able to be human. Right, and and that's and that's the thing about this story that that really kind of speaks to me because I I know there's people that hear about this. I know there's people probably listening right now that are like. He died during a prison escape attempt. Oh, well, he shouldn't have been trying to escape prison, right? You know, part of black radicalism is pushing against the system, right? People say, oh, you got to work within the system. The system is what it is. You know, that's just the reality, right? But we just talked about his experience, right? Mm -hmm. We just talked about his sentence of, of one to life. We just talked about the confinement. We just talked about the treatment, right? The the, the pure weaponization of the prison industrial complex against him, right? Absolutely. And and in seeking justice and in seeking fairness and in seeking, you know, just life, right? What we do in Black August is we honor those people that that had the courage to push against the system, that had the courage to say, this this is an unjust system. And because it's an unjust system, I I shouldn't have to be held in prison. I should... I, I am I am a political prisoner, right? That is that is what this these situations are. And these type of actions, especially, you know, like we're talking about the actions of the Black Panthers, right? Yeah. They may be extreme, but they also shine a light on the extremity that's happening right. <laughs> against them. You right? gotta be extreme when the systems against you are extreme. Right. There's it's it's kind of like there's no choice. Right. When the system is trying to kill you, what do you do? <laughs> you fight back. And you fight back with the stakes being death. We've talked about this before, but I feel like this is one of those things where as time goes on, we're changing and we're getting more radical and we're, we're doing things differently. And we just talked about how, you know, we learned about black history as, as kids, but we didn't we didn't learn about this stuff. But I feel like now more and more people are teaching their, their kids these things. Absolutely. They're getting exposed to these ideas earlier. Absolutely. And that does, again, open up a different possibility model for younger people to look at the world and say, how should it be? And yeah. for them to be able to mold it into what they they intend. Yeah, I want to tack on the Haitian Revolution here because I feel like that was something that I knew nothing about. I actually had a student tell me about it when I was teaching a class one time. And I was like, I should know this. <laughs> like, I didn't know who Toussaint Louverture was, right? Well, well and that's the other thing. On, on um, August 23rd was the day of the international day for the remembrance of the slave trade and its abolition. Right. And and it was chosen for that day because of the Haitian revolution. Right. So yeah, go ahead and kind of give the background. Right. So the Haitian revolution began on the night of the 22nd and went into the 23rd in August in 1791. Um, what people should know about the Haitian revolution is that it started because there were so many factions um, in Haiti who were enslaved. And you have to always remember these are not, these are not enslaved people from the same um, countries and not from the same tribes. And so when folks were coming through um, Haiti, coming through the Caribbean um, and making stops there and then moving into the U.S., there were a lot of decisions being made about who would stay where and who would end up in the in um, in the continental United States of America. And so for for most of that period in the, the late 18th century, um, there was this kind of transitory kind of migratory relationship between um, Haiti and these kind of mainland 
mainland populations. But the French were brutal, right? The French were brutal in Haiti and their their main focus was just on uh, crops, right? All they wanted was sugar. All they wanted was the land to be tilled. And so they, they kind of saw enslaved people as uh, very much fungible, um, expendable. They were sent, they saw them as replaceable. And so this was a, in the Caribbean, um, enslavement was really, really dangerous because it's mostly swampland that they were tilling. And so when they would, when they would till this, this soil and they would, would take care of these crops, a lot of them would get infections, they would get sick, they would die. And the enslavers didn't, didn't care at all they just didn't care um and so this idea of kind of lost cargo in the in the caribbean was it was like a it was like a known thing like they they saw um chattel slaves um this property as very much something that they could be without as long as they got the goods as long as they got the goods that's what they cared about and the demand was so high in the u.s for these goods in the Caribbean that it, it, the cost, the outlay wasn't that bad, right? Losing enslaved people, having enslaved people die. It didn't matter to them because they were making so much money and so Mm -hmm. much cash selling goods to U S populations. So this is when we talk about the slave trade, right? That's what we're talking about. The ways that you're not just transmitting, transporting people, Right. But that you also now then the transport of people, you're extracting labor. And now the goods that those people help you to to procure, that becomes a part of the slave trade as well. Right. So in Haiti, um, the uprising happened because young black folk, young black folk. Right. Um, had, were sick and tired of being sick and tired and they had done this really um, elaborate racialization system this colorism system where they were calling people quadroons and you know thinking about and this is this is again you can do your own research but they were figuring out ways to uh, quantify folks' closeness to whiteness and closeness to blackness to justify certain types of enslavement and certain types of labor mm-hmm. and so when um, Haiti uh, began warring uh, with the French um, these factions became very, very um, contentious because there were mulattoes, right? There were people who were um, the result of enslaved women being raped systematically by their slave owners um, who felt some affinity toward white folk who felt some affinity toward colonizers. And so in choosing sides, there were often um, the light skins who was was choosing the side of the French mm-hmm. against their Haitian uh, indigenous born Afro diasporic comrades. So Toussaint L'Overture um, is known for being one of the greatest leaders of this revolution and organizing all these different factions, all these different people from different tribes, from different countries, some who were uh, naturalized in Haiti itself, some who came from other Caribbean countries in the surrounding areas and essentially overthrowing French rule in Haiti. Right. And there's lots of there's lots of, you know, conversation about whether that was really successful because Haiti continues to struggle to this day. Um, You know, there's still there's still a lot of political issues there, a lot of a lot of poverty. Um, But they've got their freedom from the colonizers and they had it first. Yep. So that's that's the roots. And I and it, it shocked me that I didn't know that there's whole books whole books written about this and I couldn't find them until I was in my, you know, mid thirties. And that's, I mean, it goes along with what we've been saying, <laughs> but like that's, but that also to me, as we talk about black August, right. 
that's that's why it's important to spotlight these things. That's why it's important to share that, right? It's important to know, yeah, that you know, especially in a time where where Florida and Governor Ron DeSantis are trying to cast slavery as a learning opportunity, a learning, uh, yeah, a trade school, right? Like it's it's important to highlight that this was happening. Absolutely, that that slaves were rising up and organizing themselves. Absolutely, all over the world, right? It's imp- it's important to note that because if if you leave it up to some people, we can see, we'll see what the history books will say. Kanye thinks that slaves enjoyed it. Child. That's why we need books, and we need history, and, and we got to read them, and we got to read them. We got to read them, and we got to share them. We got to talk about it. You can find my mom and dad, aka that black couple, on the web at thatblackcouple.com. That black couple is owned and operated by Color Combos Media. If you would like to help fund our content, sign up at www.patreon.com slash colorcombosvideo. Please consider giving us $5 or $10 per month to help us build our platform and grow our organization. You can also give one-time donations at www.paypal.me slash colorcombosmedia. All donations are welcome. And we're back. We're back. Wow, it feels like it's been an eternity. But it's only one more segment. I know. Wow. <laughs> so let's wrap it up. We're gonna we're gonna do our little reflection and talk about Black August and the Haitian Revolution, abolition, um, and understanding what this means for our actual lives. Do you wanna start? I would love to start. Go ahead. Because I wanna talk about one of my favorite things on this green earth. Yes. And it's my children. Our children. Our, our children. We made them together. We made together. It was mostly me. Just the two of us. It was mostly me. I, I labored. It was mostly um, me. Tirelessly. It was mostly me. Ten months. That's why I don't even look like you. That's they, what you get. They tell you it's nine months. That's what you months. get. Shut up. Um, they tell you it's nine months. <laughs> you get was, on my nerve. It was, a lot, it was a lot of work. You get on my um, nerve. But... But it's, thank God they are here. It was mostly me. They made it. It was actually almost all me. <laughs> <laughs> me. I did it three times. Oh, why I would do that to myself? But look, 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 look! What has has been unleashed upon this earth? Yeah, they're they're incredible. Three balls of brilliance. Oh, uh, three. One, two, three. Mm. Balls of brilliance. I don't know about the saying. I I agree that they're brilliant, but I don't know about balls, balls. of brilliance. I mean, they're, they're like they're like. I would have gone with bodies. barrels, barrels, bodies, bodegas, but I don't know about balls of brilliance. Balls of brilliance sounds like something else. Yeah, it sounds. This so, sounds like mm. you want to talk about something else, but it's okay. I know what you was going for. Yeah, you get it. You get yes, it. our kids are our children are incredible. We have three yes. children. They are nine, eleven, and fifteen. Yeah, and what what I wanted to talk about in relation to them is just what we were talking about in the conversation about how important it is to teach your kids and to let, you know, let them know about blackness and all of its facets and all of those things. Absolutely. And these kids, they continue to amaze me because, you know, for those of y'all listening that are not parents, like your kids are a constant mirror and reflection of you. Absolutely. But they are also, this amazing window into your own past. Yeah. Because you're constantly looking at your kids and remembering what you were like when they were yeah. their age. Yeah. And the things that they say back to me, yeah. the things that they are aware of, their stances on society and institutions, you know, their mastery of black history. Gender the, and sexuality. It is it is something that 
It's incredible. I'm I am thrown. Yeah. On a daily basis. It's very impressive. The things that they say, and not even just that they say them, but they say them like normal conversation. Right, with like, confidence. Like this is something everyone This is just gets. a fact. It's just a fact that gender is not on a binary. You don't know someone's gender until you talk to them. That's just a that's just yeah, the, the it's level, just known trans women are women and they just know it yeah and they're like well obviously obviously like like if we ask them you know because as a parent you got to check up you know absolutely you say oh so so you know hey child are, are trans women women and they're like duh yeah or you're like hey do you understand the history of thanksgiving they're like i'm not celebrating that and you're like whoa <laughs> okay seven-year-old <laughs> All like, right. When I was that age, I was like, "Yes, bring me the ham." I had no idea. I'm not gonna lie. At seven years, at seven years old, I was like into that whole cornucopia thing with the it was with cute grapes falling out and corn hanging out with the corn of the different colors. I was coloring the corn the in. Mice. I was I was doing all type of stuff. I had no idea. No one had taught me about indigenous history as related to Thanksgiving. I had not learned any of that. Mm-hmm. I, I was still learning this idea of the happy indigenous people. They helped colonizers and they gave them food and it was one big dinner i think i think the one the one thing that i did learn was like oh they brought disease with them but it was it was cast in a light of like oh they were they were just white that, people and they didn't know i learned that much later i learned that in high school they didn't teach me that in grade school or mm-hmm. middle school and they intentionally they didn't they intentionally wait to teach you that until you're less impressionable they right. intentionally wait until you're older and you've already developed your belief systems and you already have your ideas and what is true and then they're like oh <laughs> it was actually it was intentionally to put smallpox in blankets and then to give it to an indigenous well, people yeah. and, and that's why you know this is a little bit off topic but, but that's why you know all of this crt stuff all of these things about like taking gay out of schools right is so evil right because it's that exact thing right they're saying, they're saying oh they're kids we right shouldn't. no you need to expose need that to-, to them now so this this dovetails with what i wanted to reflect on right so our kids are wonderful i think it's really great that they are in a moment where they know this stuff it's accessible it's on the internet they can just watch a youtube video or a tiktok and it tells them all about the history of these awful atrocities in the u.s in digestible ways i'm a professor and it's 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 astounding to be teaching young people like that right because i have to say this in my classes all the time i never took a gender class before i began teaching about gender yeah and i don't know how to sit with that like i i i never took a class in black feminist politics or gender in politics or gender in society i never physically have enrolled in any of those classes because they weren't available to me mm mm-hmm. And so the, the 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 conversation you're having about CRT and the attacks on critical race theory and the attacks on everything that has to do with all the people who are considered other, right? Non-white, um, the queers, the people who are outside the gender binaries or who are read in such a way, the middle class and, and below, poor working class folk, indigenous folk, trans folk, immigrant folk, queer folk, disabled folk, you know, like... It, it's it's really strange to be teaching about these things, having never been formally trained myself, but be teaching people who can just Google it and come to these classrooms with so much wisdom and so much more socialization and experience with these things than I do. Yep. Right? Like I have to I had to go out and scrounge and explore and dig to learn about my own history, right? And now I'm teaching these Gen A folks for whom they're like, Yeah, so I'm past that. I'm on theorizing now. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And it and I've been teaching now for what? Well, since 2011, 
so what 12 years now yeah and so i've watched this kind of evolution where i'm seeing you know i was teaching millennials back then i'm now seeing these young people and they're just so different they're just so different and i i I think that's what i'm reflecting on is that i think it's important that we keep talking about this stuff because now there's a new concerted effort right but there's a group there's a contingent of of young people who are post-millennial or late millennial they know better they already got it right and that makes me feel good they've already they've already got it there's there's a new batch right now who are at risk right these new generators these really really young people who are still in grade school who in their fours and fives who are being born right now Mm -hmm. those are the ones who i think are really at risk because that's what conservatives want they want to they want to erase this history before folks are able to even read or who know who they are. That's that's their best weapon. That's their best weapon. But but we already covered it. We already we already fucked a lot of shit up. Like the millennials fucked a lot of shit up. So I don't think that they're actually going to be as successful as they think they are. I don't think they are either. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, you see it. You yeah. see it in people walking around. You see it in, in these children and how they operate. You see it on TikTok. You know, the normalization of so many of these things and also you know, the access to information. Obviously that's, that's also why there's this pr- proliferation of misinformation. Absolutely. Because, because it's so easy to have access to things now. Like yeah. we talk to, to our kids about this all the time. It's like when we, when we did book reports and when we had to research things, we went up to, to the bookcase and we pulled out that Encyclopedia Britannica. Sure did. And we flipped through pages and we looked sure at indices did. and we <laughs> read that tiny print. Like that was, that was how, we got our information. That yes. was it. Like, yeah, we, I remember when the internet was new. Yeah. And I'm not that old. I remember when the internet dropped, but I remember when I was like, Oh, it shit. was like Beyonce. I, I, I can, I can type in a phone number and my computer will go connect to something. Little running man, you know, like, <laughs> like we remember that. We and, remember and that. And to see, you know, we had, we had kids very young, obviously, but yeah. it's interesting to see like within one generation, yeah, how quickly things yeah. have turned around and changed, and how quickly people are ad- adapting and using that in good ways. Yeah, and and while the conservatives will try to tamp down on formal education because that's where their power is, they'll never be able to water down stuff like this, right? Mm-hmm. They'll never be able to take away podcasts and other forms of free speech, right? That's why they're trying to get rid of things like TikTok and they're trying to change Twitter, right? They're trying to change social media so that you can't have free speech on those platforms mm-hmm. because black Twitter got to be too much, right? Black yeah. people, Twitter got to be too much. We got to be, got to be too, too powerful. But we always find places. We always, we always find spaces. We make spaces for ourselves. So I'm not, I'm not actually concerned about whether or not this knowledge will be passed down and transferred, but I am concerned that there will be whole communities of people who've been affected by the lack of formal education. And that, that does change beliefs. It does shape things like how people vote, how people engage with the political system, how they think about their own political efficacy, whether or not they can, they can influence that system. Right. Right. It, it affects those kinds of things. And that's what they're doing successfully. And that's what we have to fight. And that's what black August is about. Y'all absolutely continuing that fight. Yeah. Thank y'all for listening. Before you go, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at that BLK couple, on Facebook at that black couple, and look us up on the internet at www.thatblackcouple.com. Bye.